Welcome to the Clinician Voice Podcast. I'm Robin Geiger, Senior VP of Clinician Advocacy for Ingenivus Health. Today you're joining us for real talk about the struggles of nurses, physicians, and allied clinicians on the front lines of care. We're excited to partner with health executives, clinicians, and industry experts to learn how they're leading through current challenges, shortage, and burnout. And now, let's get into the talk. I'm looking forward to our discussion today with Dr. Sue Ferguson on her personal experience with seasonal affective disorder and how we can become more aware of this mental health challenge to support those around us or have the information to seek proper care. I'd like to first introduce you to our guests by sharing a brief bio with you. Dr. Sue Ferguson is a registered nurse, healthcare leader, and health coach with over four decades of experience. The American Nurses Association highlighted Sue in the Healthy Nurse Healthy Nation Wellness Program as the Healthy Nurse of the Nation in July 2021. She holds a Doctor of Nursing Practice degree and is a board-certified nurse executive. And she is also certified as a healthcare quality professional. She is a director at the University of Texas, MD Anderson, where she created the concept of a wellness program for a workforce of over 4,000 nurses. She currently serves on the advisory board for the Coalition for Nurse Wellbeing. And I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Sue Ferguson. It's our pleasure to speak with you today and your personal and professional experience with seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD, just to hear your story, I'm, I'm excited. I would love to start by learning more about inspirations from Nurse Sue. Could you share with our listeners how this platform for self-care came to be and what motivates you to keep the inspirations flowing? Robin, thank you so much for having me join you today and please feel free to call me Sue. And thanks for asking about how Inspirations from Nurse Sue came about. I love wellness, always have. That's what brought me to nursing all those years ago. Everyone has their special interests and skills. I'm the nurse you would want to walk into your room if you needed emotional support. I'm the handholder, the person who asks, how are you really doing? Focusing on the power we have to create a healthy and joyful life has always been my superpower. I spent years as a discharge planning and a home health nurse. Those were my most satisfying times in my career because I got to see firsthand what the whole person looked like in their home environment with their support people or not. It gave me a holistic understanding about health and well-being. I loved talking with patients about their diabetic management and how they could incorporate healthy lifestyle habits into their regimen to improve congestive heart failure or how to eat to heal their surgical wounds. Those were awesome experiences. And over time, I gravitated to the wellness movement where I focused on researching and learning and incorporating into my life evidence-based practices to be our healthiest and to extend our lives. Longevity is a priority as we baby boomers in particular are aging. I've learned that there is so much we have control over that can positively impact the aging process 
and have us avoid chronic illnesses, no matter what our age is. So I'm using my superpower to promote, teach, and influence health and well-being to everyone I can reach. Wonderful. You have a lot of experience with self-care. Clinician Voice Podcast was created to focus on support and solutions for clinician challenges. What concerns you most about clinician support and well-being? Well, Robin, that's such a great, great question. You know, the health of the nation, and in particular, the well-being of healthcare providers is being impacted by the craziness of the world we live in. It's so hard to have a positive outlook when we hear unimaginable things going on around us in politics, through societal behaviors, and the horrors of war happening around the world. In our own environments, we see that people are overworked and overstressed. They are burning out. The struggle is real and it's serious. We hear about people working themselves to death and you know that used to be more of a kind of a threatening statement, but unfortunately we're seeing it play out in real time. Young people are being diagnosed with late stage cancers. People are dying suddenly from heart attacks and the suicide rate across the nation is at an all-time high. Seasonal affective disorders, or SAD, as you pointed out, increase the incidence of these occurrences. It's estimated that 5% of Americans are affected 40% of the year by SAD. That's a staggering statistic. And let's talk about the current holiday season. According to the American Psychological Association, 38% of us will experience some form of a holiday-related depression. It may be situational, maybe the loss of a loved one, or disappointment about the holidays when people compare their lives to those displayed on social media. Or it may just be life in general, financial stresses, isolation, or loss of purpose. So how sad shows up is usually anxiety, sadness and hopelessness, fatigue, Changes in behaviors, how people eat and sleep, their mood, maybe a change in their physical activity and their socialization. Sometimes these sad symptoms can become chronic. And we're going to get into a little bit more about seasonal affective disorder, but I'd like to start by sharing a quote from you. You said that research about sad distinguishes it from feelings of sadness or anxiety brought on by stresses at certain times of the year, holidays and winter blues. Sad is a type of depression related to changes in seasons. I love that you wanted to make that at the top of our priority for this podcast. So that's often a misconception, which also reported by National Institute of Health. Um, Sad is related to changes in daylight hours, not the calendar. This makes it particularly important for those residing in places where there's a limited light. I would love it if you would share with our listeners your personal and professional experience. What's your personal story with seasonal affective disorder? Yes, thank you again, Robin. You don't have to look far to be aware of somebody who's struggling with mental health issues and depression in particular. My dad served as a medic in World War II and was shot during the war. And I still get goosebumps when I say that. My mother said he came home from the war a different person than she knew when he left. 
he was a young man just starting his adult life. Now, he was predisposed to depression because his mother was chronically depressed. And looking back, you know, as a child and growing up, that's all I remember about her. But this horrific incident exacerbated his mental health issue. He suffered from clinical depression his entire life. And his symptoms always seemed to get worse around Christmas time. And incidentally, he was injured in December. It was painful to see him so sad and hopeless and miss out in the joy of the holiday. But fortunately, my mother was an incredibly hopeful and resourceful person who kept the mood positive for our family, despite his state of mind. I have to put in a plug for the power of attitude. She's my hero, my role model to deal with whatever shows up in life. She taught me that everything is possible and that you can handle and overcome anything. So that's the mindset I live with and that I share with others. Wow. Thank you for sharing your personal story. I'd like to shift just a bit and talk about ways that clinicians can work in their daily lives to prevent seasonal affective disorder. You know, you've already led into this, Robin. You shared information about what SAD is kind of distinguishing it from other depressions. And you're absolutely correct that it is triggered by the change of seasons. So just where you live can impact having SAD symptoms. Researchers actually don't know what really causes SAD, but there are some theories and I'd like to share some of those with you. So one is that lack of sunlight does trigger the condition. So when there's a lack of sunlight, your biological clock shifts, which affects your mood, your sleep, and your hormones. Another theory is that chemicals, and that's serotonin in particular, or I should say a lack of, contribute to having these blue feelings. So vitamin C, vitamin D from the sun and serotonin go hand in hand. And yet a third possible cause is negative thoughts. Right. Now let's be real here that stress and anxiety can lead to that negative way of seeing life. So prevention measures are about boosting your system with vitamin D which again affects the serotonin levels. So it's great if we can spend time outdoors to get Mm -hmm. sunlight. And some people resort to phototherapy or light therapy. Also, I would say, I caution how you speak, you know, shift those negative thoughts to more positive thinking and be gentle and encouraging with yourself. Use Use affirmations to speak to what's really good about you and live with a gratitude attitude. Robin, what I'd really like to share with you and and our our, um, audience is everything about self-care. Would that be appropriate to share at this point? Absolutely. And I want, I'd love it if you would also, you spoke a little bit about um, the correlation of vitamin D and light and getting that reasonable amount of sun, which is really important in whole health. and the, the correlation of nutrition. So yes, I'd love to know a little bit more about, for those listeners who are concerned about having symptoms of seasonal affective disorder and when should they seek treatment. Also, in previous talks with you, you've mentioned stigma. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely. 
So first of all, I want to address, you know, does nutrition and self-care play a part in prevention of SAD? Absolutely. I would say as someone who has researched and really studied about self-care and the positive impact on our lives, I would say that what we eat and how we move our bodies is important for everything in our life to be healthy and live long. So let me back up a little bit. And the the, the real strategy here, the real impact of self-care is how it can impact all types of depression. So, you know, it, it's the, the struggle is real, the pain is real. And the more we can know ourselves and help our own selves, the better we're going to be able to deal with our, our uh, situation. Okay. So I've already mentioned about, you know, the research and the study about how we can take care of ourselves holistically. Ladies and gentlemen, it comes down to six essential healthy habits to nurture your body and your mind. Knowing that you all have an interest in taking care of yourself, I'm going to go ahead and share those six healthy habits with you. So first of all, nourish your body with real food. That means less processed food. Now, the challenge of the holidays is we're around foods that maybe we're not normally exposed to. But think about this. Fill your plate first with plant-based foods, and then you can add the other macronutrients that work for your body. And it takes a little bit of experimentation. There's no one size fits all. There's not one diet that works. Oh, and by the way, diets don't work. Just the idea of calling it uh, what we eat a diet is just kind of setting us up for failure. But you get to decide then after you fill your plate with those those plants, then decide what kind of protein you want, what kind of complex carbs and healthy fats. So my advice around eating is always experiment, find what works for you. And then second of all, move your body. Now, Robin, notice I didn't say work out or exercise. I didn't. <laughs> Sometimes those words just turn people off. So I say find a physical activity that interests you or that you can have fun doing. Yes, moving your body can be fun. It could be dancing, gardening, yoga, walking, running, biking, all the usual things, going to the gym, cycling on your Peloton, even cleaning your house. Your body will love it all. And the key is just do it, do it consistently. And that's where you get the big payoff. Now, the third thing is to take time to pause and take mental breaks. How in the world did we lose sight of our off button? You know, we live in an almost permanent state of on. We have so much pressure on us to perform and to produce. So I encourage you to consider mental health is mental hygiene, similar to how we take care of our teeth, dental hygiene. So throughout the day at prescribed times, you can clear your mind to relax and to restore. I'm a big believer in deep breathing. Yes, There are a lot of different (laughs) techniques for breathing, but I like Dr. Andrew Wiles. He's got something called four, seven, eight. So check that out. Yes. Now the fourth healthy habit is to practice life balance. Let's stop putting work ahead of all the other areas of our life. Why do we call it work-life balance? What Work is just one element of our complete circle of our lives. So 
know that none of us are superhuman. You know, we're all regular people. We can only do so much before we short circuit. We have to take care of, of our entire life. And we have the power to create balance by making decisions about our life, how we live. It does take some assessing of our priorities and considering making your stop doing list shorter than your to-do list. Now, fifth on my list of healthy habits is to connect with people. Life is all about relationships, and it's so much more enjoyable when we go through life with others. Find your tribe. You know, a tribe are those people that have a shared vision or goal or passion. They're people you want to be around because you have that common theme. Find people who challenge you to be your best. And importantly, find people that you can have conversations with about your feelings and your emotions so you can protect your mental health. That's so important. And then finally, drum roll, number six is sleep. Most of the world's population does not get enough sleep. That's true. <laughs> Let me start no, with I the news. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a challenge. Yes. But let me start with the bad news. Why is this so important? Because lack of sleep can make you fatter, biologically older, and at risk for heart disease, diabetes, and dementia. So I suggest following a cognitive behavioral therapy strategy so that you can build in some behaviors and some habits that are going to support you to get eight hours of sleep. And just like movement, consistency is key again. You also asked about the uh, treatment and the stigma, but I want to check in and just see if you have any questions about anything that I covered. No, I love it. I love it all. Um, I'd love to hear now about stigma because mm -hmm. as we know, being nurses first, and I say nurses first because we're definitely leaders, but we align with all of the nurses that are out there on the front lines of care. So let's talk about the stigma of seeking care in the first place and how we don't need help. That's often associated with everything that we do. Because we help others, we often don't receive the care that we need for ourselves. Isn't that true? And isn't that a shame that we it is that we've kind of um just gotten into that into that role of helping others more than we look out for our own being. So, you know, if you know you have a history of holiday or seasonal depression, I would say seek help now. Don't wait for symptoms to start because it's so much harder to get on top of things when we're in the middle of having symptoms. And you're right. What holds some people back from seeking treatment is the stigma of mental health. We see it in the, in the media. We hear it on the news. We read it in, in uh, journals. And why is that? So, I, you know, I, I have explored that through my, you know, just through my own interactions and observations. Right. But I feel like some people may feel ashamed. They may think, you know, I'm not strong enough. I should be able to deal with this going on in my life. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't feel these blues. Exactly. So sometimes we just, we're so hard on our own self. Some people may think, well, I'm not good enough to deserve anything more than what I have. So 
I'll just take it. I'll just take it what I get. And unfortunately, some people may even blame themselves for their symptoms. They may think, you know, I'm a real screw up. There must be something fundamentally wrong with me that this is how I feel and I can't cope. So that leads to, you know, those kinds of thoughts just lead to people not wanting to let anybody know that anything yeah. is going on. They don't want anybody to know that they feel depressed. It can be seen as that sign of weakness, right? Right. We're supposed to be, especially nurses, we're trained and, and physicians and all healthcare workers are trained to be able to handle anything. We can tackle this. But we yeah. are human. I've already pointed that out. So these personal inferior feelings right. and the stigma of being, quote, human. I mean, come on. We're human. It's okay. It's okay to be imperfect and to be emotional and to have feelings. But those those are the those feelings and, and that stigma can really impact our self-esteem even lower and make the symptoms even worse. So I think the best advice, Robin, is if you're feeling um, depressed or the blues, or you know this is happening to you because sad is real. It is, it is documented. It is seasonal. It is, as we've already established, a lack of sunlight. So see a doctor or get some professional help in whatever way that is appropriate. Because you want to rule out things like chemical imbalances in your system, thyroid function, your vitamin D levels, even your vitamin B levels can be involved. And literature says even having allergies can exacerbate the, the symptoms of SAD. So I think it's important to get in the right hands, get in the hands of someone who can evaluate you, find out what the cause is in your own individual uh, situation and address those causes of depression. You can't, you can't just suck it up. This is real. Right. And and, um, you know, we want everybody to, to get the help that they need. I agree. Um, our company provides a robust employee wellness program. And I'm really excited about our ACT program, which supports clinicians by providing a well-rounded supportive advocacy, along with giving them the tools that they need for mental health support, including EAP programs. And I know as nurses, there's different opinions on employee assistance programs. Some people feel that that's also approaching a stigma, but those programs are amazing and they're there um, to support you. I would definitely advise if you have an EAP program that you look into that, that one-on-one -on -one support is definitely there for you. And then also your primary care provider, your current relationship with with your care provider, your primary care, your physician or your, your nurse practitioner, they know you really well. So establishing that relationship so that you can speak to them freely about the help you need is also really important. Wow, Sue, you've, you've given us a lot to think about and I really appreciate how you unfolded those six steps. And it all went back to negative thinking. Everything that you talked about um, from the, your initial opening in this podcast where you spoke about how the negative thoughts can impact your health. So I wanted to remind our listeners about that as well. But what message would you like to leave 
for our listeners? Well, I would say stop and take note today of how you're feeling. Pay attention to your body and mind because nobody knows it better than you. I would ask, are you coping well? Do you have some difficulty or do you have a great amount of struggle? So go into the holiday season and this new season of sad with a game plan. And I would say, keep life simple. Consider doing things differently this season, this holiday, maybe in in a way that better supports you. Choose things that are important and let go of some of the shoulds. How many times do we overwhelm and overstress ourselves because we're shoulding somebody else's expectation? So here's an idea. Somebody mentioned this to me this morning. They said they just didn't have time and the effort they wanted to put into putting up the tree, but they didn't want to go without a tree. So they put up an artificial tree with lights and they put their usual topper on the top and that was it. No ornaments. And the person said, you know what? We're just as happy as if we had spent hours putting that entire tree together. So it's just an example of how it may be time to reconsider. You know, we all go through different phases in our lives. Sometimes we have plenty of time to do the the magic of the holidays. And sometimes we're just overwhelmed with maybe what's going on in other areas of our life. So I also suggest shifting the either or, like I can do that or Mm -hmm. that, shift it to and, A-N-D, and. So instead of, oh, I have to decide if I'm going to give my time to somebody else or some other project or something going on, but leave myself out. Think about how you can make that a, I'm going to do this and I'm going to take time for me. So think about that. that. Shift from either or to and. Do for others, but do for you too. So really the deep seated message is take care of yourself. Make time for yourself. Prioritize. Say no. Let others say no. Set and keep boundaries. You know, a lot of times people set boundaries, but they don't follow through on them. So it's really important. If you're going to set boundaries, let people know what your boundaries are so they know your expectations and be real. Keep those. And, you know, it's okay, Robin, to ask for help. That kind of goes along with that stigma. If, if I admit or acknowledge that I may be struggling right now with my mood or my mental health, asking for help could be a sign, again, of weakness or I'm not good enough or I couldn't do it. But really, it's a sign of strength. We've all heard that. Asking for help is not a weakness. It's a sign of strength. So just overall, just be flexible. Maybe do some things differently this year. Examine those aspects of the six essential healthy habits of self-care I shared. And above all, prioritize your mental health because nobody else is going to do it for you. And get help if needed, as we both you know, said is really an important thing. And I just want everybody to know that it's okay to make yourself a priority. Self-care is not selfish. It's self-preservation. I love that. And I've certainly enjoyed my time just listening to you and, and meeting with you again. It's been great 
having you on our Clinician Voice podcast, Dr. Ferguson. Listeners may want to know how they can follow you or connect with you. Can you share how they may be able to get in touch with you if they would want to? Absolutely. And thank you again, Raman, for having me join you. I would love to support and offer, you know, my help with listeners help in any way so that you can all, we can, we can all have a more enjoyable holiday season. So I encourage you to check out information on my website. I am nursesue.org. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Susan Ferguson. I have an email address that comes directly to me. My personal email address is sue at sueferguson.com. Makes it really, really easy. And my personal contact number is 713-408-8294. So I'd love to chat with anyone and learn how I can support you. Well, thank you again, Dr. Ferguson. It's been great. Um, being on our podcast today with you and for our listeners. We thank you for joining us as well. And we hope that you'll join us next time on the Clinician Voice. Thank you. Thank you, Robin.